With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. We're going to review the Brazil Grand Prix today, Mark, but first of all, Thank you to everyone who has voted for us in the number one podcast of Formula One, I guess, in the world, I guess. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool and, and somewhat uh, unexpected. And <laughs> that's uh, really great news. Uh, we, we got a link up in our, our Twitter feed, I think, also on our on our Facebook page. So thank you for uh, for everyone. Uh, it's it's nice to be recognized and uh, somewhat uh, humbling. So it, it just uh, it's a it's a nice moment. I mean, we put three long years of uh, work into this podcast and uh, it feels good. Yeah, we're in front of behind the grid, the actual uh, formula. Like we're in front of a podcast that has way more budget than we do. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's always fun to beat the big guys. Exactly. Well, considering we have no budget really to work with, it's <laughs> exactly that's what <laughs> we, we can say about the other nineteen shows that are ahead of us on the on the list. But uh, that was a it's a it's a great moment, and uh, I know both of us are very happy about it. And uh, it's just a um, big thanks for the listeners for all the supports and the and yeah. and listening and getting in touch and you know just being involved in the show over the past couple of years. For a little behind the scene here, for people who don't know, Mark and I do uh, soccer coverage, and uh, that's how mm-hmm. I got all my equipment. So uh, that it was easy to just uh, start a Formula One podcast. So we can actually thank the world of soccer for both of us having <laughs> the equipment needed to be able to do a Formula One show. Well, we'd probably be do- doing the uh, the other shows separately, might I add. Um, I think we've probably been doing that for, what, two, three years at least before we started the Formula oh, yeah. One. So it was just basically setting up the feed and just exactly. uh, making uh, allotting time to do the Formula One. So it was a fairly easy transition to do it, and uh, it's been an enjoyable one. Speaking of enjoyable, this race was pretty enjoyable, even though there was no driver well, the driver's championship has been wrapped up but it was still interesting for a few little details and of course we'll mm-hmm. get to the verstappen ocon incident we'll talk about it in length we'll see who's at fault who's not uh the pushing and shoving at the end if it's good or not for formula one but i want to talk to you mark about the performance of the Red Bull car to start the show. I was impressed by the speed of Verstappen and Ricardo, if you look at it, in the entire race, how they were able to pick off the Ferraris and then the Mercedes, and uh, Verstappen should have won this race. It's too bad the incident happened, but I'm still surprised by the development over the last few races now of the Red Bull car with the Renault engine. It's hard to imagine this... Improvement they have seen gonna translate next year with all the change in the engine and the MG UK, but still the development for Red Bull has been tremendous over the last few races. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely, Kevin. And it, it really kind of makes me wonder where's this performance in the Renault engine been for the past couple of years? I mean, they were miles ahead of everybody, literally, in the the high altitude of Mexico City a couple of weeks ago. But uh, going down to to South America, to Interlagos, at Sao Paulo, they were still extremely impressive. Of course, poor Danny Ricardo fell foul of the gremlins once again and and had to start with a a grid penalty, which was uh, unfortunate. Of course, he didn't finish the race before, but just in terms of pure power, it is very, very impressive. And it's all that more impressive that just how 
Well, we know Red Bull has a good car, but just how much further ahead they are, of course, than McLaren, the other um, uh, Renault-powered customer team, and then, of course, of the Renault factory team themselves. It's uh, it's just it's it's amazing. And now I kind of uh, <laughs> I'm just asking myself, and I'm sure a lot of people are asking the same questions: Are they going to have similar success next year, going uh, onto the Fer- uh, sorry, not the Ferrari, the, the the Honda engine? But if you look at some of the uh, the the other news around. Verstappen is saying that uh, the Red Bull's absolutely not lying. That's the exact words that uh, that he used about uh, the the performance and uh, the the strides that Honda has made. So he really believes that they're going to be able to help them contend for a championship next year, which is, is a bit of a mind blower, well, but amazing if true. Yeah, if true, that could be really impressive. If the rest of it, because we all know the improvement of this car, yes, the Renault engine has been helpful, but it's not what really changed over the last few races, right? It's everything else surrounding Mm -hmm. it that allowed maybe the Red Bull to more efficiently channel that power of the Renault engine towards the wheels and make the car faster, and especially the grip. I think that's what the biggest improvement was with the Red Bull car over the last few weeks, especially in Mexico City and in Brazil, is the grip we've seen on that car. Both versus the Mercs and the Ferrari, you've seen a Red Bull car that has more grip and seemed uh, maybe a bit easier to control on straight lines and on curves too. And you've Mm -hmm. seen Verstappen being able to overlap easily cars in a very small gap, but as well was able to overtake them in parts of the the track that are maybe more dusty, a little less grippy with less tire marbles on them. And we've seen... Verstappen, with the mechanical grip, what I feel it is, and not just aerodynamic, we've seen the car having more grip. So I think it's a little bit of a co- of a combination of the power, fine, but it's more how they process that tire and the suspension adjustment and the aerodynamics improvement. But I would not be surprised at all if the suspension and the traction of the car is due to a lot of work by the Red Bull crew for fixing and improving that suspension. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and Kevin, I'm just going to put this uh, out here for you. Of course, uh, this past uh, weekend, uh, Mercedes wrapped up uh, the Constructors' Championship, which is their fifth in a row. And I think, although obviously it's an, a, an incredible achievement to to win a Constructors' uh, Championship, let alone multiple in, in a row, I think that years from now, people that d- didn't really sit through and watch the season closely might be a little bit misled at how close it was at times and just might just kind of look, oh, well, that was uh, the sort of peak Mercedes or, or what, whatever it might be, depending what happens over the next couple of seasons. But, I mean, it really was a lot closer than that. I don't think it was really so cut and dry. But the thing is that Ferrari obviously was going back and forth with, uh, with Mercedes up until, let's say, up until the summer break. Obviously, after Spa and Monza, that was the real turning point uh, then in the season. And then when they went off uh, off form, they went off uh, pretty quickly and the, uh, the, the change was pretty abrupt. However, I, I'm kind of wondering if an improved Red Bull team that is able to challenge more for race wins and be more of a competitor, uh, more of a rival to the top two teams is really what it's going to take to knock Mercedes off that pedal stroller or, or really make it a little bit more difficult from them because obviously it's been Ferrari that's taken the fight to them over the past couple of seasons. But I think if we're ever going to see a change in Formula One, unless Ferrari comes out and gets it right or Red Bull comes and gets it right or, or is able to beat Mercedes one-on-one, I just kind of wonder if maybe that's as well. It's, it's obviously another possible scenario. Right now, you know what it reminds me of? Maybe to a lesser extent, but it brings me back to the end of the 97th World Championship, Mark, where you Mm -hmm. had the Williams and the Ferraris battling for the world title, the construction title, with the McLaren team getting really, really good late in the year. And this set up the dominance for the years to come after with Mika Hakkinen and David Coulthard. I really feel this could be the case right here where we see rebels coming into into coming of age in this second generation of success for the rebel crew after the Vettel years and those four championships. I think they're coming into a second wave of success that's going to come 
next year, but this year we're just seeing the progress and the hard work starting to pay off and a little glimpse of maybe what we can see next year and the year after with maybe Red Bull being the favorites week in, week out, and not just the Mercs. And I really, it feels like this to me, maybe not to the extent, but we'll see if uh, they do get another result in the last Grand Prix of the season and maybe win it, then it will really feel like the end of 1997. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, too, if you kind of go back to 2014 and the start of the turbo hybrid era and you can really kind of if you look at it back now and obviously they have one more race left with Renault power and then they go into the new era with uh, with Honda for 2019. But it's interesting now with that that, you know, having that hindsight over the past couple of years just how abrupt that change was and how drastic it was for Red Bull. Like you say, they won those four championships with uh, Sebastian Vettel. And then all of a sudden coming into the new, um, you know, the, 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 the turbo hybrid era, that Renault engine obviously just did not have the power compared to, well, obviously Mercedes was the ones that got it right, right off of the bat. And then Ferrari uh, slowly uh, caught up, but they were even, you know, struggling, I think a little bit right from the, 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 the very beginning. And it, it's interesting only, I'd say, in the latter half of this year that that Renault power unit really seems to be making some uh, strides. So we'll, we'll know this time next year whether the switch to the Honda engines was either an inspired move of genius or one of the biggest blunders ever in Formula One. I mean, there's a lot riding on it, I mean, considering how strong that they are finishing this season. Yeah, if they do not carry over this momentum to next year the first thing that people will point to is the honda engine right it's it's like honda mm-hmm. doesn't have the benefit of the doubt anymore just because of the terrible years with mclaren over the last couple of years and with the lackluster performance of toro rosso this year not that the car hasn't been good it has been good but unfortunately the drivers were not able to get the most amount of points out of races <clears throat> brendan mm-hmm. hartley and so that's where mostly of the blame is this year too is that honda part of the partnership that stands out but if people are right in the red bull red research bull and research the and development, development area development. maybe they do understand that uh the the engine ha- is going to be really powerful and they will be able to carry over that momentum but that's the biggest question in the hierarchy of Formula One for next year is where will Red Bull end up? Yeah, well, I think if you're McLaren, they're probably hoping <laughs> that that uh, things uh, aren't going to go as quite as uh, Red Bull is hoping, of course, because, I mean, they paid a lot of money to break that contract early after the end of last year. And they just haven't. Well, I mean, the, the McLaren is obviously uh, the, the car itself is a is a big problem, but there is so much riding on it. And uh, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting year next year. I mean, just from from a lot of uh, different uh, perspectives, you know, the, the Red Bull Honda partnership is one. You have uh, all the different um, changes in the in the teams with the drivers. You know, you got Charles Leclerc going to Ferrari, you have Kimi going the other way to Sauber. You have uh, Mercedes staying the same. You know, can they keep uh, going and keep uh, dominating and win another championship or two? I mean, it's it's going to be really fascinating to see. And then, of course, there there are still a couple of seats really up for grabs uh, for next year that haven't been uh, completely uh, decided. But just to, to finish up on that one thought of yours, uh, what you're just um, uh, talking about, about the uh, the Toro Rosos, they started pretty good. I mean, Gasly had an incredible race in in Bahrain at the beginning of the year. But now you look at it, so you, what about like 18 <laughs> races later, between uh, Gasly and uh, Brendan Hartley, they only have 33 points in the Constructors' Championship, which is only good enough uh, for ninth, which puts them just ahead. Well, not uh, just uh, ahead, but um, well... I mean, it's only Williams uh, before them. And what makes that uh, kind of interesting, too, is that the the new racing point Force India, uh, Mercedes or whatever they call themselves now, they have 48 points. And they basically had the slate wiped clean because all the points that they had accrued up until the, you know, the first half of the season, until uh, Lawrence Stroll and his consortium stepped in to, to buy the team and get them out of receivership, they forfeited all of those points. So that that just uh, really kind of puts that uh, in, into perspective. And for me, what uh, looked like a fairly promising season for Toro Rosso has kind of really fizzled out. I mean, they're, you know, several points behind Sauber, who's they've also fizzled out in the past uh, several races. But 
again, uh, interesting situations to watch for next season. All right, let's move and let's dive right into Get it. The juicy stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Max Verstappen versus Esteban Ocon. By this point right now, you're all aware that Max Verstappen was leading the race, trying to pass. Uh, well, he's actually Ocon tried to unlap himself. It is more accurate. Verstappen was minding his own business. Then Ocon comes into it and overtakes Verstappen to Verstappen's right on the left-hand corner. And then when it comes back to the right-hand corner right after it into a type of S right there, while Ocon was inside, Verstappen didn't leave any space for both cars. So they touched. Uh, fortunately, Verstappen was able to continue and finish second. But unfortunately for Max, he was overtaken by Lewis Hamilton with a subsequent little delay of uh, spinning out and coming back into the track. Lewis Hamilton overtook him. Lewis Hamilton got the win, got the fifth straight Constructors Championship for uh, Mercedes. But with this move, Max Verstappen's reputation takes a hit. And speaking of taking a hit back in the paddock after the race, Max Verstappen confronted Esteban Ocon and shoved him. And the shove apparently was uh, a reaction and triggered. The, literally, mm -hmm. Verstappen was triggered by Ocon's words and reaction. And uh, yes, it's a lot of drama, a lot of controversy. I uh, felt like I was watching NASCAR for a second. <laughs> Well, yeah, it was a, a pretty much a, a ridiculous situation. And I mean, I completely understand that uh, Esteban Ocon has the right to unlap himself. But don't race with the race leader and don't do it in the corner that he did it in. And yeah, I mean, you can make the argument that uh, that Max should have given him more room going through that, uh, that, that uh, first series of corners there at Interlagos. But still... I don't think he expected um, Ocon to still be racing side by side with him. And true, I mean his his uh, his reaction when he got punted off the track there, coming out of uh, turn two, was immediate, and it was uh, it was he was very very upset as you would well expect. <laughs> but the one thing that I I was surprised at is the the damage that Max sustained during that uh, that crash with Ocon. Is if you just look behind the the uh, the side pod on the right right hand side of the car, is just where it sort of tapers in when it just goes around the back of the radiators. Is the floor there was actually quite badly damaged and broken, and I think uh, Max had said something fairly quickly over the the, the radio uh, back to the pit saying that he had sustained uh, floor damage, but. I think at that time, I can't remember the exact uh, lead he had over Lewis. I'm thinking somewhere between four and a half and six seconds. So, I mean, he he was he had a comfortable gap that um, if everything had stayed the same, I would have expected that it would have um, he would have maintained that lead, if not extended it a, a little bit in the final segment of that race. But, of course, in the time that uh, he was off the track and then getting back up to speed, and then, um, you know, getting back, just you know, working out the frustrations, just focusing back on the race itself. He ended up a, a similar distance, I think, behind Lewis. And what, what I was uh, surprised to see is despite that, that damage that he had to the floor of his car, by the end of the race, he was able to basically close that gap. I mean, he wasn't close enough to, to challenge him. But uh, at the end of the race, I mean, uh, Max was only a second and a half uh, behind. I mean, if that race went uh, another 10 laps, I think uh, despite the damage to his car, I think Max was racing with about 50 extra horsepower, which was just yeah. the steam coming out of his ears after the accident. But, <laughs> you know, that's uh, just uh, now just talking about the the aftermath of it. It wasn't a good look. I, I, I can completely understand Max's reaction. And uh, although maybe it would have been better for him to, to, to restrain himself and, and not lash out once, not twice, but three times to push Ocon. I mean, he, Ocon was just kind of standing there and grinning and just kind of like not apologizing for anything. I mean, the guy was not in contention. And I really believe that if um, if you want to point to put some blame on Max for not leaving enough room going into turn two, that's fine. But I think that the the, the majority of that blame has to go fall on Sebastian. Uh, oh, sorry, Sebastian Ocon's uh, shoulders. Well, I agree. And when I say not enough room, I have to uh, explain myself. 
I'm basically taking maybe the same stance as Lewis Hamilton did in that little room yeah. after when the top three drivers are talking to each other. Like, yes, he's allowed to unlap himself. That's well and fine. He has nothing to lose. You're the race leader. So it's the same thing of when you have a big brother and a smaller brother. Yeah, the smaller brother did start the fight, but did you have to punch him back? You're the older brother. You should <laughs> know better, and you should uh, maybe be a bit more conservative at that moment, and that's what maturity will give Verstappen on the track, and uh, that maturity will be eventually, the next time it happens, you just let the guy go. Just because, you know what? I'm not going to risk a win for this. Let the guy buy you. And you can probably overtake him in the next few laps if you need to, or just run your own race when you have nothing to lose at that point for him. If you actually trying to stop from overtaking you and trying to uh, play it risky, you do have a lot to lose. And that's maybe the stance that I'm taking. I, I am blaming Ocon for the touch and for the risk that Esteban Ocon did do. But for Max Verstappen, he needs to have the maturity to understand that even if he lets him by... There's no foul there. There's no risk. And he's actually less risk than if he tries to close the door. So I think that's where it's important for Verstappen is, you know, you had a lot to lose by just trying to uh, to, 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 to hold the point or to hold the argument. And maybe next time you'll be a bit yeah. more conservative in how you handle your car when you're leading with 30 laps to go. Well, I, th I think that's also part of the process of him maturing as a as a driver, because as uh, as ridiculous as it seems to suggest that, um, you know, a Force India could unlap themselves from a, a Mercedes. But just to switch that Red Bull with, say, Lewis Hamilton. And if Lewis was in that same situation, I would just uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario that uh, that that he wouldn't give way or uh, find a way to preserve the car and, you know, maybe react with some sort of indignity or outrage over the radio. It's like, what the hell is this guy doing? But first and foremost, protecting the car, protecting the lead and making sure that you come home in, in first place. And because uh, it's a different situation, it would be different if going into turn one, uh, Ocon breaks himself and slams up the the, the rear end of uh, Max Verstappen's gearbox, very much like uh, we saw with uh, Verstappen and Ricardo at Baku early in the year. That's that's a little bit different. Then you can put that a hundred percent on uh, on Ocon in that situation. But you know, like I say, I mean, going into that those corners, um, you can really. That's why I say I think maybe you, I don't know, call it 95-5 or 90-10, 85-15, depending on your point of view where the uh, where, where the blame lays. But, uh, yeah, I just I couldn't see Lewis uh, say, or doing the same thing. And I guess that explains why uh, Lewis said, you know, he didn't really point fingers one way or another and just sort of labeled it as a, as a racing incident, albeit uh, an unfortunate one if you're if you're Max Verstappen. Yeah, exactly. And Lewis Hamilton was literally like, yeah, he had the right to, to to unlap himself. And you had the right to react the way you do. But if it would have been me, I would have just reacted differently. And he says like, he literally said to Max Verstappen, he had nothing to lose. You did. And he was basically saying, you know yep. what? Even though it's his fault and all, you're like the cyclist versus a car on the road. As much as sometimes you're mad at the motor, at the at the car because he's always cutting you and not supposed to do so, you're on a car, and you're on a bike. If you brake earlier, the car passes by, it doesn't hit you. You're not gonna have a broken leg. If you're trying to hold your ground and to argue with the car, it may you might have a broken leg. So you know, yep. that's yep. what happens anyway. Yeah, but you know, just uh, talking about reactions, you know, who was uh, not quite so restrained in uh, commenting on the. Uh, Let me guess. Nineteen ninety-seven world champion. <laughs> That's it. Jacques Villeneuve himself basically said that uh, the whole situation and what uh, what Ocon did was that uh, was an embarrassment. And uh, well, I mean, you got to respect Jacques. I mean, uh, he he doesn't mince words. He calls it like uh, he sees it, and you know, it just the whole situation was not a good look for Formula One. Just what happened on the track and off the track, but uh, he he's, he even went a little bit further just to uh, explain or or broaden that discussion, not just to what happened at uh, the Interlagos this past weekend, but some of the situations that we've seen over the past couple of years. Most notably, last year would be several of the the incidents that he had with his teammate Sergio Perez, which 
eventually led to almost the unprecedented uh, action by Force India to to ban the two uh, teammates from from racing one another because of it was becoming too costly. I mean, there was I think there was several that you could uh, that you could uh, look at. But uh, yeah, good old JV, <laughs> never one to mince words, eh? No, no, of course. And uh, well, I do have the aspect of boy crying wolf a bit too hard, too too, too often. So whenever he speaks as much as he's my favorite driver of all time, mm-hmm. I still take his comments with a grain of salt because he does this to get reaction and it still works. And that's why he's still involved in the world of Formula One. And that's why he's paid to uh, give his opinion on races. But he does have a point, though. If you're Esteban Ocon and you are trying to um, be in the good graces of uh, anyone out there with a seat available, it's not the best way possible to have a controversy in your maybe your second to last race this year in Formula One. And who knows what the future has in store. So if you're Esteban Ocon, as much as you want to prove yourself and you want to unlap your car to maybe get the best result possible... Creating this controversy is not helping his cause, I believe. No, <laughs> I don't know. Just to sort of change the topic slightly, or I don't know if you saw the press conference or the interview afterwards. Uh, there, there are some an unedited versions floating around on social media. But uh, Max was asked uh, what what he thought uh, of the whole incident, what led to the uh, the shoving incident in in Park Ferme, and and Max basically said, "Well, he was acting like a pussy." <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and, I saw you know, that. Just, well, he said he was acting like one after too, because he wouldn't get into uh, into a fight, I guess, with Verstappen. Well, I, you know what was uh, amusing about that whole situation is when the camera pans out. I'm pretty sure I saw a pretty big grin and a smirk on Kimi Raikkonen's face, uh, sitting two places to the left of uh, uh, Max Verstappen. But it, now, even uh, uh, well, just to keep uh, sort of dragging this one out, but um, Ross Braun. The, uh, the the motorsport uh, director at uh, at the at Formula One, he said that uh, that Max has to learn to rein in his emotions, which is uh, kind of uh, basically what we were talking yeah, about. And it's and, true and too. Ross, it's true it is, too, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think Max, you know, he he is showing that that he has all the traits uh, to be a Formula One world champion, and uh, you know, having that passion and that energy like that he has, that's not a bad thing. It's just channeling it and focusing it and expressing it in the, in, in the right and proper moments. Yeah, I, I call it dialing it down. Now he's still driving 100%, right? He's driving 100% of his, of his capabilities every single time he's in the car. If he wants to become the next Lewis Hamilton, maybe, or maybe he wants to be the first Max Verstappen, granted, but Lewis Hamilton does not drive 100% of the car all the time. He drives at 92 93%. You know, because he dials it down a bit to be a bit more conservative because you win a world championship over the season, not every single lap you're racing. And I guess this what will come with with Verstappen controlling his emotion is dialing down it a bit, dialing it down the emotional responses by just a few percentage. And then you'll get the result maybe over a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Formula One is all uh, about pushing things to the limit and driving on the edge but uh, at certain times you know that there is uh, like you say there you can't go out a hundred percent all the time I mean for for various reasons you're gonna you're gonna ruin your tires you're gonna put the the equipment too hard and then just the the, the mental aspect of it too driving at that sort of limit the the entire times it's just uh, it, it just does not seem like a sustainable kind of things and and I think that's what makes Lewis so good and uh, and other drivers of, uh, of of that stature is that you know you can still be fast and still be you know accomplishing what you need to be but you know you're not at the ragged edge you're as you're as close as you need to be and still be in uh, control and I think that's just as difficult a, as it must feel for Max right now it is one of those things that he has to learn I mean we forget that he's you know he's still only 21 years old he didn't really have that much time in the junior formulas to to learn some of these things. So a lot of the development that we've seen over Max Verstappen over the past couple of years since he's been in Formula One. And then, of course, making the jump from Toro Rosso to the, the, the Red Bull senior team is that he's basically kind of been figuring it out as he's been going along. And, of course, we saw earlier this year that it took him a good half a dozen uh, races really to to get things 
figured out because I think we had this uh, discussion about the, the the patience and the focus early in the year, uh, especially when he put it into the barriers at uh, at Monaco and FP3, and that was the real real turning point because after that we saw Max come to Canada a couple of weeks later and be more focused and the the Max Verstappen after the the sixth race of the season whatever it was in Monaco up until this weekend has been a completely different Max Verstappen I mean he's been more focused he's been quick he's been doing all the right things and unfortunately this past weekend he did one little thing that's kind of wasn't really all his fault I mean he could have just yeah he could have reacted better but I agree could've... with you yeah. it's it's yeah. not his fault the incident happened and that wasn't his fault but the reaction and the shoving at the end was so I guess I guess that's where we at uh, it wasn't his fault that's why Verstappen did not have a penalty during the race which Ocon did Ocon did have a stop and go 10 second penalty and that's, uh, I guess, that's where, if the Formula One actually stands on this, and the commissaire of the track were like, "Yeah, it's Ocon's fault," but the Formula One drama that happened in the paddock, the pushing and shoving, this is not something that they want to see or do. Is it? it? It's like it's new owners. It's being talked about everywhere now, so maybe they yeah. don't hate it anymore. I don't know. Is it a case that there's no such thing as bad press? Because, I mean, for better or worse, I mean, and I mean, it wasn't like they were throwing haymakers at each other there. It wasn't no, like, exactly. It was it was a very conservative shoving. Like, I've seen worse in the metro yesterday when I was walking, you know, so we see a lot worse <laughs> all the time. I've seen worse going in for into the coffee shop to get my coffee in the morning and the, the people that uh, they're jonesing off of their last coffee fix or, you know, throwing elbows trying to get their their, their coffee. But yeah, you know. I, I guess it, it all comes down to a question of sportsmanship, and you know, I, you know, honestly, it didn't bother me all that much to be to be truthful, because I think it was just a, and it was an emotional reaction in a heated situation. I mean, Max obviously could have reacted better. Ocon probably could have said uh, or behaved a little bit different, because I think that Max obviously was uh, was uh, was heated going into the park for May. You knew at some point that they were going to, to run into each other. And I think Max yeah. even said at some point, you know, oh. that there's always that opportunity to talk and, and, and discuss these things. But I think it was uh, O'Connell's reaction to him and just the fact that he wasn't going to back down and was rather indignant that really uh, set him off. And it's earned him two days community service as yeah. punishment from, from the FIA. So I, I don't know what that is to I'll sign autographs, go- maybe be like, make sure you come into the Grand Prix two days earlier. You'll have a little booth. Where the public can come and see uh, and get your autograph, but just to go back to, I think it was premeditated though, because when you hear Verstappen when he's uh, late in the race, he's like, "Yeah, I, I just hope I can find him in the paddock after the race, in the back fermé." So just with that comment, like, "Yeah, that's probably why he got the he got the two days public service because his his violence towards Ocon was premeditated because he was already looking forward for the race to be over just to find Esteban. Well, it was very much like a like a throwback to an earlier era. I mean, we go back to what was it, Spa 1998, when um, a slow-moving David Coulthard, or I should say, a Michael Schumacher collided with a, a slow-moving David Coulthard in the rain at Spa. And took the though the one side of his car off when he was miles ahead in that race. Anyways, then they they went back to the pits and uh, Schumacher stormed down to the McLaren garage and there was a a, a big uh, <laughs> a big pushing match down there. And of course, that was something that happened with Senna. And I think that even at one point Nigel Mansell went after Senna. You know, it, it's it's nothing new. And uh, I, I mean, I don't think uh, that anybody should uh, overlook incidents like that. I mean, you know, in a one off situation like that, it's not a big deal to me. I mean, it, like I say, it's not really the greatest look for the sport. And uh, I, I think that should something ever happen like that again, I think that that the Max is probably going to I, I, I would hope that he would be the bigger fellow and uh, keep his emotions in, in check. But uh Obviously, it uh, it did end uh, or, or did lend uh, to some sort of extra spice to the race and uh, a discussion that we don't usually have in in Formula One. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be we'll see where this all goes. And again, like you mentioned earlier, it is a learning process for Verstappen. He probably learned a lot of things too in the whole dealings of this. But you know what? Uh, what I thought was interesting is. Um, 
let me just see who said that comment but uh some people see in verstappen and his response and his reactions to what's going on a a bit of a, of a throwback to like you mentioned an older era a bit of a spit of a it's senna-esque as we mm-hmm. can say yeah absolutely i think that uh damon hill had made that comment that uh that's that that incident reminded him of Senna, and of course he would have been around uh, in that era with uh, at Senna at the end. And you know, it, it's interesting. You know, you, you get these um, these comparisons. I mean, uh, you know, with Max being sort of like <laughs> Senna in multiple ways. I mean, Senna, of course, was one of the greatest drivers in the wet, and and Max has proven that uh, that he's also he, he's obviously the best driver of this current generation in, in the wet. So these comparisons for the right and maybe the not so. Uh, right reasons are, are maybe uh, <laughs> a little bit concerning, depending which way you look at it. But it's uh, it's interesting nonetheless. But it's also just uh, I mean I mean the amount of like um, discussion that this has also generated was uh, not just uh, what happened between the two of them, but the uh, the immediate uh, reaction uh, that that came out afterwards was sort of these conspiracy tinfoil hat theories that. Of course, that it was some sort of premeditated or ordered thing that because, you know, Force India being a Mercedes powered car had, you know, there was some sort of uh, conspiracy there that that, uh, you know, and him being a a Mercedes junior driver, that that, that there was some sort of nefariousness going on there, which is uh, preposterous to say the least. Right. (laughs) The risk involved, just the risk involved. Imagine something goes wrong, someone gets injured or a car crashes and, you know, you never know what can happen when a car crashes. Can you imagine if then it's if it's known that it was deliberate? No, it's like, no, no one will ever take such a risk just to to secure a constructor's championship that you would have gotten anyways. And now it's. Mm conspiracies at this level where you need more than two people to agree to do something it never exists because people never agree on stuff and no (laughs) one would have ever agreed to pull this off well you know the the funny thing about that is i mean like how did that go down did it happen was it did total wolf like text um otmar safnauer over at force india and say yeah and take max out with first chance you get i mean just when you, when you kind of even just sort of vocalize it i mean it sounds ridiculous to the uh, the extreme but you know just sort of talking a little bit more about mercedes now um the, the one thing that surprised me was that uh, hamilton apparently at one point was faced with what uh, mercedes had called was imminent engine failure at the the brazilian grand prix and uh, basically, I think it was about um, it was somewhere between lap 25 and 30 where the uh, the, the engineers had basically uh, they were having a discussion and it, it came over the radio network and the, the, the Mercedes pits that um, that Hamilton's uh, engine was overheating. It was operating uh, beyond the upper level safe um, limit and uh, they expected that engine to, to fail within a lap or two. And uh, obviously that didn't happen, and it just—I I had to chuckle afterwards uh, about uh, what, what I'd called uh, Lewis Hamilton's almost unholy good luck. <laughs> you know, I mean, first of all, he benefits from that—that uh, that tangle uh, between uh, Verstappen and uh, Ocon, and then you hear this afterwards that his uh, his engine had uh, failed or was about to fail only about uh, a third or a quarter of the way into the race, and he still goes on to win the thing. I mean, talk about a guy that's got the golden touch, but, you know, (laughs) it goes back to that old saying, when you're hot, you're hot, right? Yeah, and when you have good luck, luck follows you around. Yeah. And uh, I think 2018 and 2017 are are Lewis Hamilton's. When did Rosberg win? Was it 2017, 2016? 2016, yeah. 2016, yeah. So the last two years, Hamilton won with a lot of luck, too. 2016, he ran out of luck all season long, too. But, you know... Maybe he's going to run out of luck for next year, Hamilton. And maybe he's actually uh, emptying all the good luck karma he has this year. And next year, maybe Verstappen will uh, will get that good luck. And you never know. I, I still feel like uh, it might be a three-horse race next year. And Red Bull might yeah. be the best of them three. We'll see. We'll see. It depends on how Verstappen and Gasly can actually work together. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic. But just to, to finish up that thought uh, you were making about Lewis Hamilton, I think that finally when Lewis decides to to call it a career, I mean, I don't think he, he's the kind of guy that'll keep racing forever and ever just to sort of pad his own numbers. I think when when the time comes, he'll be ready to 
to walk away. And if the luck's run out by then, I'm sure, pretty sure Lewis can take a look bad. Say, yeah, you know what? I had a pretty good run when I was driving <laughs> in Formula One. All yeah, the, uh, yeah. the different race wins, the uh, the, the championships and uh, everything that he's achieved. And I mean, he's he's blown the pole position record out of the uh, out of the water. I mean, he he beat Schumacher's record uh, or sorry, Senna's record over a year ago and then Schumacher's. And then um, I mean, he just keeps going and going and going. So he'll own that record, which I am sure will stand for a very, very long time uh, until somebody else uh, equals it. Yeah, we'll stay probably, uh, I don't know, in perpetuity. We never know. But uh, yep. let's to finish on Hamilton. He won 50 of 99 races in the turbo hybrid era for <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. So that's more than 50% of the race he has taken under a hybrid era. So that was with uh, turbo and hybrid era. So that was uh, with, Ham- with, uh, with Mercedes basically since, what, 2012, 2013? So, yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah, twenty thirteen. So ninety nine races, about six years. That's what it been. That's what it would be. So uh, not too bad. Not too bad for uh, Hamilton. Yeah, he's definitely had a, a pretty decent run over the past uh, several years, and of course, I, I don't know if you saw it too. They uh, did replay some of those um, highlights from two thousand and eight, when uh, Felipe Massa was uh, world champion for about thirty seconds until uh, Lewis crossed the finish line just in the position that he needed to just to sneak that world championship away from him which had to be one of the most uh, exciting climaxes and finales uh, to a world championship in in, in recent uh, memories of course uh, that uh, uh, two years ago in Abu Dhabi on the final race of the year what with uh, Rosberg kind of just managing those pass or the last couple of Grand Prix and then uh, Lewis leading that race and kind of uh, you know backing him into Verstappen and, and Vettel behind them. That, uh, that was rather dramatic as well. But uh, non, I still think that was second seed to the, the whole Massa Hamilton uh, first world championship. I mean, oh, yeah. Felipe had that one and then uh, had it evaporate and slip through his uh, fingers. I mean, that, that must have been, I can't imagine what uh, he must have felt after it's that. It's as close as he ever got, right? It's as close yeah. as being world champion as he ever got, just a few laps away. Well, he was never officially world champion, Kevin, but he was a world champion 30 seconds longer than either of us will ever be. So he could at least say that much. That's true. That's true. All right. When we start to to wrap up the show here, just a few Mm -hmm. notes. Uh, You mentioned Hamilton imminent engine failure that happened. Ferrari revealed that they had sensor problem hurting Vettel's race. And if you look at the uh, race itself, maybe that does explain the lack of I wouldn't say the lack of speed, but the lack of commitment from Vettel and mm-hmm. Raikkonen to their position and to pushing forward. They were content with their position, pushing whenever they could, but they knew Verstappen was not going to be catched, and they didn't even try to. So maybe that does reveal that uh, reaction towards their car. Yeah, and it was interesting, too, because... Uh even though Verstappen was able to get around Bottas, uh, uh, Raikkonen, especially after the pit stops, looked like he was going to get get around Bottas, uh, you know, in, in short order. But it was also, um, you know, the the team orders thing was uh, was interesting to see because it was obvious that Kimi had the faster of the two Ferraris on the day, and when the uh, the, the order came through to let uh, Raikkonen pass so he could have uh, a go at uh, at Bottas. Uh, when he had the fresh rubber as well, was it was interesting, and you you could see the uh, the the replay when they showed uh, Arriva Bene on the on the pit wall just making that sort of hand motion to to switch the two, and uh, and Vettel I think he he knew I mean his car just well he almost uh, stalled off of the line on the formation lap. It looked like the anti stall device had uh, had sort of kicked in because when they started to to pull away from the start and finish there to 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 form up for the race itself. He really struggled to to get the car off of the line there, so who knows if that was all part of the the, the same thing? But it was just sort of uh, an anticlimactic race, I thought uh, for him. I mean, obviously he's had his uh, struggles, which are well documented uh, at this point in time. But it, it uh, there was still that opportunity for Ferrari to win the constructors' championship in the last two races, although. Obviously, it was uh, it was a, a really big hill to climb, but uh, it, it was almost an anticlimactic and I wouldn't say half-hearted measure or, or half-hearted effort. I don't think that was uh, that that was it at all. Uh, but uh, they they clearly once again weren't uh, weren't a match for for Mercedes or at least for for Hamilton. Uh, Botas uh, obviously um, didn't 
quite have the performance uh, or the the result that, uh, that 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 he needed in Brazil either. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, now another little uh, tidbit of news: Rob Smedley, formerly of Williams, is talking to other F1 team for another F1 role, but uh, his last stint with Williams did not help his reputation. So. I'm wondering uh, what role would he have with the team, and it mm. wouldn't be close to anything that he wished he would have, which was team director. He was uh, being being literally um, groomed for that, and now it's not going to be the case, I feel. Well, yeah, you know, uh, when you look at how quickly they've uh, really fallen off, I mean, they've lost their way big time just in the past couple of seasons, and what with Patty Lowe going there after 2016, uh, leaving Mercedes, that is, to to join Williams at, at that role there, and and Smedley heading up what was it the the vehicle performance uh, director role or something to to that effect. I mean, it really looked like that they had some good pieces in place there, and obviously, I, I mean, they've gone backwards uh, and dropped like a lead balloon. So it's not really a, a good thing to to have on your resume. But I mean, he's been an F one for a while, so it'll be interesting to to see where he he pops up, but. Uh, Talking about things popping up, the uh, the new FIA crash response system made its uh, F1 de- debut in uh, in Brazil. A lot of the the, the details uh, haven't been released. Uh, they'll uh, make that known over time, but it's more of a, an automated system that uh, that the first responders will use when uh, coming to a uh, to a, a crash or an incident at, at a race. And, uh, and apparently, it's saying that a lot of the data on what's happened uh, in the accident can be uh, transmitted without um, without voice and in different ways it can be transmitted uh, automatically basically is what it is and they're saying that uh, even uh, a time saving of 10 to 20 seconds uh, can make a, a big difference so that'll be interesting to see what uh, what exactly and how the, the the system works in greater detail once they sort of finalize it uh, and make it uh, public but uh, yeah, just goes to show you again, Kevin, just how there are so many aspects of Formula One that are completely high tech and space age nowadays, and uh, it's uh, in every aspect of the sport. Yeah, no, I agree, and we maybe keep the uh, the last uh, last one for our next show because we'll we'll need things to talk about probably for the next race, and that's interesting because it's a whole <laughs> conversation about uh, what's good for one team versus good for the entirety of the grid and. So, but I want to leave you with this, Mark. You know what's going to happen in 2019? You remember what 2017 got me all excited about? Well, 2019, it will happen again. Fernando Alonso back at Indianapolis for the mm-hmm. Indy 500 and with McLaren, too. Yeah, it's a <laughs> that's like a story that just uh, never seems to, to, to go away and... Uh, It'll be interesting to see Fernando at uh, at Indy. I mean, he did really amazing last year in his first crack at it, and unfortunately, when when did his engine blow up? It was it wasn't too far from the end. Was it? It was like a little twenty thirty laps left in the in the five hundred, something like that. It was uh was maybe three quarters of the race in. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the 500 is a, a real tough test. Um, well, for for many reasons, uh, not just uh, on the cars and the drivers, and uh, it was just unfortunate. I mean, he had just had a, a fantastic month there, just uh, in testing the 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 rookie day, qualifying the race it, uh, itself. I mean, he just looked like a a guy that uh, that looks almost instantly comfortable driving that uh, that uh, Andretti Honda around the uh, around Indianapolis and well I mean there, there is no doubt about how good of a, a driver Fernando Alonso is I mean his his legacy in Formula One I think is going is tarnished by um, I think a litany of what ifs who knows uh, whether he got the best advice perhaps he was just uh, it was more his personality and uh, his nature that got him into the situations and the bridges that were burned but um, definitely if there is a guy that uh, can win the triple crown and be the first guy to do it since Graham Hill who won Monaco Indianapolis and uh, Le Mans I I put my money on Fernando so well he only he, he only needs a he only needs Indy cuz he won Le Mans yeah. this year so that's a big yes. difference since the last time he went to Indy is this time he's got Le Mans too so yeah we'll see that could be uh, that could be done this year but what I find fascinating is is he going to do more than just one race that that's the that's a question because his calendar is quite open next year. So he might have well, more time to do more than one race. 
Well, that's right. And the, the, the thing is that Fernando keeps saying that, you know, I'm a racer. I love to race and uh, I love going out there each and every weekend. So uh, I, I think he's one of those guys that if uh, he's still enjoying it and as long as he's competitive, be it in, uh, in, in endurance cars, be it in Indy, wh- whatever he chooses, I think as long as he's having fun and he's got a good car, then uh, I think uh, we'll see Fernando Alonso around uh, for for a while yet. Maybe maybe he'll become the next AJ Foyt or, or Mario Andretti. I mean, because they, they both of them they uh, they raced uh, for for quite a long time. I mean, I, I can still remember when when Mario was racing in the IndyCar. I mean, that was what probably uh, late early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I I've seen like two Andretti race at the same time. So yeah, it must have been like ninety four, right. ninety five. Yeah, that would that, that would sound about right. I mean, even at that time, uh, Mario was quite salt and peppered, and <laughs> I mean, he'd been around for quite a while. But it's true, uh, more, he was raising more at the same salt. time Michael was salt and pepper. I would say probably a lot more salt though than pepper. <laughs> so he was he was up there. But no, you're right. Absolutely. All right, as always, Mark. Where uh, where can we find your personal work, and where can we follow you on social media? You can follow me on social media uh, media on Twitter at Mark J.R. Daily, and that's Mark with a K and a daily with an E-Y at the end. And uh, you can follow this show also on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Scuderia F1 Pod. Thanks for the follow. I'm at Kev Laramie. And as always, until next time, have a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?